Thanks. The first scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, till it was all leavened. The second scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, good morning. My name is Austin Lennox. If I haven't met you yet, I would love to remedy that. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, what we've been doing uh, as a church is we're looking at uh, what commentators have called the central theme of the whole New Testament. The, the, if you wanted to boil down just kind of the main thrust of Jesus's message when he was preaching on earth, it's, it's this idea of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of God. And so what we've been saying is if you've been with us, you're keeping up with our definition. It grows every week. And right now, uh, the definition of, is that the kingdom of God is the upside down, already not yet, revolution of God making all things new. And I'm going to add it, add to it, as is our custom, uh, to which I'll say, the kingdom of God is the upside down, already not yet, surprisingly successful revolution of God making all things new. Because I think what these two passages do is they answer a really important question, which is, does this work? Does this work? Does this thing that we're doing work? Like Jesus, the Bible, God, the gospel, church, whatever, fill in the blank. Does it work? Does it accomplish anything? Does it succeed? Does it work? Right? Because if we're being honest, it is just so easy in the day-to-day packing of lunches, going to your job, hanging out with your friends, your family, your neighbors, the struggles that, that are happening in our world right now, wars, violence in our city. You just think, is this doing anything? Like, does the kingdom of God do anything? Does it accomplish anything? Is it, does it work? And I want to say yes, it does. <laughs> but it succeeds in a really surprising way. It succeeds in ways that we would never guess. Uh, maybe y'all knew this already. I, I didn't until recently. That if someone has like a, a craving, sorry, I, I kind of lost my voice a little bit. I was at a uh, rock and roll show in Nashville on Friday. Still got it. And uh, was right in the mix with everybody screaming and yelling. And so I'm, I'm recovering. Um, if you, if, if someone has like this, uh, compulsive need, this desire to constantly like be chewing on ice, you know, it's kind of like munching on ice. They always have like a cup of ice they're chewing on that. That can be like a sign that they might be iron deficient. That was, yeah, people are nodding their head. I had no idea. That feels like the craziest solution of all time. Like you're telling me that iron deficiency makes me. And so these passages kind of do the same. They're like, okay, the kingdom is successful, but super unexpected. You're you're never going to guess how it works. And it's because the kingdom is successful, but it starts small 
It spreads slowly. It is subtle. It is subversive. It is sure. And it is self-sacrificial. I don't know why I have five hands or five fingers. That's six points. Six-point sermon. That's my personal record for most points in a sermon. Um, But I can assure you they are shorter than uh, your average point. So... Buckle up nonetheless. Okay, so first, the, the, the kingdom starts small, right? It, it's super interesting that in verses 31 and 32 of Matthew 13, what you see, this picture that Jesus gives of what the kingdom is like is a mustard seed, right? Which verse 32 says is the smallest of all seeds. Now, in Jewish culture at this time, the mustard seed already had like a very proverbial usage in their society because it really was. It was, it was the super small, tiny, like for us, it'd be like a poppy seed, you know how small they are? But yet it produces, like it says, the largest tree in the garden. Of all the garden plants, it produces the biggest, smallest seed, biggest result. And so imagine it this way, right? Uh, maybe some of y'all have read Atomic Habits by James Clear. I have not, uh, but this is a concept that he pulls from in that book. He says, imagine that you're on a plane in Los Angeles, California, and you're trying to get to New York City. Well, the aircraft's ready to take off, everything, blah, blah, blah. But the pilot, let's say, he accidentally, like, nudges the little joystick thing. You know, you can't even see it. Like, he, he barely taps it, but, but somehow 3.5 degrees changes on the flight trajectory. Uh, that change might seem insignificant. It might seem unnoticeable. Uh, to the naked eye, you'd barely even realize anything happened. No one on the plane would know. And yet you'd end up in Washington, D.C., Right, New York City, Washington, D.C., hundreds of miles at the end of this journey. But at the beginning, the imperceptible change, tiny, seemingly insignificant, unnoticeable change, yet over time leads to this insane difference. And that's kind of what these parables are saying, is that the kingdom is almost unnoticeable at first. Even now, right? It, you look around and you're like, I don't know if I really see it happening. I don't know if I can see it happen. Is it doing anything? doesn't seem like it. Think about it, right? 2,000 years ago, a homeless Jewish man gets crucified on a cross naked and then rises again from the dead three years later. And here we are in Memphis, Tennessee, 2,000 years later, still talking about it, right? Something that seems so insignificant. This one thing that happened to one person in history changes the entire world. Right? And at the end of his life, he had like 11 guys who were still following him at that point. And they were all cowards who like rejected him at the end of his life, abandoned him when he needed it most. It does not get more humble than that. Right? The kingdom starts so small. And yet here we are, centuries later, landscape of the entire world completely changed. And so not only does the kingdom start small, the kingdom also spreads slowly. And so Jesus chooses this agricultural example on purpose, right? Because if, if you've ever spent time in the garden or, or, or whatever, you know that like anything that grows is, is like this. It takes time, right? Look at verse 28 of Mark 4. It says, the earth produces by itself, we'll get to that in a second, first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain. Now that doesn't mean anything to us. We're like, okay, you know, why, why would he say that? This would have gone against every kind of popular expectation of the time when Jesus was alive because they thought God's kingdom was going to come suddenly, 
They thought it was going to come all at once in this big, one, huge moment that it was going to be this kind of military, political defeat of all of Israel's enemies, that it was going to happen all at once, this, this immediate kind of sudden thing. And Jesus says, no, it's actually slow. It's going to spread really slowly. There's a process to this, right? It takes time, right? They had, and we have today, wrong expectations about the speed with which the kingdom comes, right? Jesus says it's a process. It's not instant, right? He, he could have said if he wanted to, like, hey, the kingdom of God is like this lightning bolt that's just going to like come all at once and light up the sky and everything's going to be different right in that moment. But he doesn't say that, right? We want the kingdom of God to be like that. We want the like big, huge dynamite TNT, like, you know, explosion moments, right? We live for those where it's like, man, I just, I want that. I want that moment where just everything, you know, clicks and it's big and it's flashy. And Jesus is saying, well, You'll change over time. Like, I, this works. It will accomplish things. But it, it is more like just this, this faithful drop of water that hits like a rock in the same place over and over and over again, constantly for years. And after decades, it is completely different. It's completely different because of the way the water has eroded it. But when you see it, when you're watching it, you're like, nothing's happening. It doesn't seem like anything is happening. And look... We are obsessed with instant results. We want instant, immediate gratification. And the kingdom says, no, you'll have to die to those ideas. You'll have to die to those dreams. Waiting is part of the kingdom coming. Right? Waiting and being patient, it's part of the kingdom coming. Waiting is like the gymnasium of your soul. It, it is like the weight room for your spirit because it is what forces you to actually rely on what you've heard rather than what you've seen. Does that make sense? That in the waiting, that's where, that's where faith actually happens. It's where you have to cling to things that you've heard when it doesn't seem like you can see them, when what you see actually almost seems to go against what you've heard. And so there's really good news in this, both specifically and generally. So specifically, there's really good news in the fact that the kingdom spreads slowly because if you're anything like me, this is what your week looks like. You're like, okay, I haven't done it like I should, but, but I, I've tried to read my Bible some. Uh, I've tried to pray. I have carved out time to go to church. Uh, I have served with people. I'm doing all these things. I'm trying to engage. I don't feel any different. I don't feel like this is doing anything. I don't feel like it's changing me. I don't see the results that I want immediately. Uh, my before and after picture spiritually, I still have the, the gut, not the six-pack. Like, and so it's easy to ask, like, does this work? Is anything happening? Is this succeed? Is this, is this going to accomplish anything? And so individually, it's, it's okay if it's slow, right? For you specifically, it, Jesus is saying it's okay. You can be patient that the kingdom of God does not come all at once, that it happens over time. It's slow. It's a process. And then generally, this is good news because when you look at the world around you, you think, I don't see the kingdom anywhere. It, it does not feel like God is doing anything right now with what I'm seeing, right? Crime in our city, wars happening on, on other continents. And Jesus is saying, just trust the process. Be patient and wait and trust me. There is a process that I'm in control of. The kingdom will succeed, but it spreads really slowly. 
Again, good news for us individually, good news for us generally. So next, the kingdom is subtle, right? It starts small, it spreads slowly, and it's subtle, right? Look, look at verse 27 of Mark 4. It says, this is talking about the farmer, right? He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. <laughs> it's it's kind of awesome. It's like, we know. It's like, well, I mean, the seed grows. He's like, I don't know what's causing this. Um, the farmer doesn't know how the seed grows. It, it's mysterious. He can't describe it. He can't see what's happening. Right? It's happening underground in these incremental moments that are undetectable to us if we're looking for them. So here's what that means. It means that the kingdom of God is not always flashy. Right? It's not always flashy. It's subtle. I mean, think about it. The heart of the gospel is not that God came down as some like powerful, angelic army general to just like dominate the world. He came as a baby. This super small, seemingly insignificant, weak, subtle thing. Right? It's not flashy. It's so subtle. Um, and he says, that's how I'm going to do it. That's how I'm going to save creation. Becoming weak, becoming subtle. And it's not going to happen. Like, it's subtle. The people who first heard about it were shepherds. It did not make the front page news. Uh, another book that I've never read but I'm about to quote from is um, J.D. Salinger's Catcher in the Rye. Um, I have learned over the course of my life that my high school woefully uh, prepared me for uh, things uh, in this realm. And so I didn't have to read it. Maybe, maybe y'all had to read Catcher in the Rye. Oh, I'm seeing some no's. Okay, public, public school, North Alabama. I think my grandmother might be watching on live stream, but she, did, she taught my elementary school, which was great. She taught my middle school, which was awesome, perfect. Very prepared for high school. In, in The Catcher in the Rye, there, there's this amazing sequence, um, Holden Caulfield and, and kind of a mentor character going back and forth. And, and this line just kind of comes out of nowhere, and I love it. He says, it is the mark of an immature man that he wants to die nobly for a cause. It's the mark of a mature man that he wants to live humbly for one. I'll say it again. It's the mark of immaturity if you want to die nobly for a cause. It is a mark of maturity if you are prepared to live humbly for one. And the point that he's getting at is, okay, decades of humble, faithful service might actually over time be more impactful than one grand display of faithfulness. Right? But see, we don't like that because we, well, one, we're lazy. We're like, can I just like, can I just like martyr myself? And then like, I'm good, right? <laughs> like kind of did the big thing, you know, died for my faith, whatever. And it's like, no, 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 I actually want you to live for like 70 years in humble, quiet, obscure obedience to me, loving your neighbor. And you're like, oh, that sounds terrible. Can we just get it over with in one fell swoop? But also we don't like this because like we love to be seen. We, we love flash. We want it to be about us. We want to say, look what I'm doing. Look what I've done. Right? Tish Harrison Warren says it this way. She says, everyone wants to start a revolution, but no one wants to do the dishes. Right? We all want to be part of the revolution, but when it comes to just the day-in, day-out grind of just faithful, quiet, unseen, hidden, subtle obedience, we're like, that doesn't seem like it works. I, I want the big, flashy things. I think the big, flashy sounds better. But knowing that the kingdom of God comes subtly, it really can free you. Right? It can really free you. Because you don't have to look flashy. Right? You, you can live your life in a subtle way. What if actually that's how you get people interested in the gospel, in what you say you believe? It's because they're like, okay, this person's living in a way that they're just not relentlessly trying to draw attention to themselves, and I'm actually paying attention to that. It's actually novel and new. But also, right, in a world that's obsessed with itself, with showing itself off, 
if Jesus and God are really great, it's okay if you're not, right? If Jesus and God are really great, it's okay if you're not all the time, right? The kingdom comes in ways that are small and slow and seemingly insignificant. It comes in forgiving your spouse, right? It comes in apologizing to your children when you wrong them. It comes in doing the right thing and being obedient even when no one's watching you and it doesn't pay off, doesn't make you look good. It comes in giving your money away secretly to help the poor, to help the kingdom. Look, speaking of small, kind of seemingly insignificant ways that the kingdom comes, um, y- y'all might know the name Dwight Moody or, or D.L. Moody. He was this really famous kind of evangelical pastor, you know, from, from the past. And his son was being asked one time, they're like, hey, okay, you know, you're a Christian, like you got converted at some point. Like, was it your father's ministry that, that did that? Like, was it, was it the preaching of your dad? Was it like a book or a conference or a revival? Can you remember how it happened? And, and this, this famous pastor's son said, actually, it was none of those things. He said, my conversion happened because I had some friends over one day, and we were playing in the front yard, and we were probably being a little loud, carousing a little bit too much. And my dad comes out, and he just lays into me. He yells at me, totally didn't deserve it, like just flew off the handle, and he knew it. And he blew up, and he went back inside, and, you know, we just kind of went about our day. They eventually went home, and he says later that night when he's going to sleep, uh, he hears his dad kind of open the door and and walk into his room, and and he's acting asleep. You know, he's just kind of acting like he's asleep, and he says he hears his father kneel beside his bed and weep. His father wept begging God to forgive him for his anger, to forgive him for how he hurt his son. And then he asked his son's forgiveness. He says, Lord, I pray that my son would forgive me. And he said, that is what saved me. That is what convinced me that maybe this Jesus he keeps talking about is true. Because I saw what it did to him in his own life. It wasn't the preaching. It wasn't the conferences. It wasn't the books or the revivals. It was his father just repented to him and said, I've wronged you and I'm sorry and I want to change. Will you forgive me? It is hidden, it is often secret, and it is subtle, but it works. That's how the kingdom comes. And so part of the kingdom being subtle is also why I think the kingdom is subversive. So if you're keeping up, kingdom starts small, spreads slowly, it's subtle, and now it's subversive. Okay, what do we mean when we say that? Well, if the Israelites uh, had the wrong expectation about the speed with which the kingdom was going to come, that they thought it was going to be instantaneous and sudden and all at once, They were also wrong about the style with which the kingdom was going to come. Because, again, they assumed that surely the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is going to come with, like, political military power. That he's going to just dominate forcefully uh, all of our enemies and oppressors, and Israel will be on top again. That that's what it's going to look like. It's power, that it's strength, very visible, very outward focused. And that's not what we see in the New Testament at all right? Uh, To be subversive, I had to look this up. Uh, It's like being a spy, right? Spies are subversive because to to be a spy, you have this systematic attempt to kind of overthrow or undermine some kind of government or political system or organization. But again, you do not come in from outside and impose your will by force, right? If you're you're a subversive, you, you infiltrate from the inside. And you say, I'm going to change this from within by actually infiltrating and becoming part of it, changing it from the inside. 
And so this is why in these parables we see this, this, uh, this example of leaven being used. Uh, in, in Matthew 13, 33, right? It says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which I don't think it rhymed in ancient Hebrew, but it's kind of fun that it does for us, you know. Um, kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Uh, that a woman took and hid, right? It's hidden. You can't see it. But it's inside. It's hidden in these measures of flowers until it is all leavened. Right? And again, maybe you know this. I did not until preparing for this. That, that any kind of leavening agent that you use, yeast, whatever, it produces gas. Right? Like that's how like bread goes from being like this big to being like this big. That this, this leaven gets in there and it chemical reactions, whatever. Uh, it says that it carbon dioxide gets trapped as a gas in the gluten structure which gluten's like number one enemy these days. So, um, But that's what leaven does. It gets inside there, and it spreads out, creates this gas, and, and the entirety of the loaf is infiltrated. Right? It says, until it was all leavened. Right? The, this tiny, small, hidden thing from the inside right, changes and leads to the rising and flourishing of the bread, of the loaf. In other words, the kingdom of God is what enters into creation. When Christ enters into creation and he comes for the rising and flourishing of his people, of all life on earth. But he does it by deeply embedding himself in his creation. He does not do it from afar. He does not do it from heaven. He, he gets his hands dirty. He enters into this life and he says, the kingdom is subversive. I'm going to take over from inside. I'm going to infiltrate. I'm not going to dominate, right? And so it, the same thing is true for us, that if you want to see the kingdom of God come in the spheres of your life that God has placed you in, you start to ask, okay, what are hidden, subtle, unseen things that I can be doing that actually exist for the benefit and flourishing of those people that I'm with, which is very countercultural, we think about our lives and we say, no, 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 I only want to embed and invest in places that benefit me. But if the gospel is Christ embedding himself in earth, then that, that attitude and mindset can't be right. We have to say, okay, where can I embed myself to seek the benefit of other people who are there? Right? That, that's why we as a church exist where we are right here. We want to be leaven in Midtown. We want all and eventually the entire loaf to be filled with, I mean, I don't, for Memphis to be filled with, with us, with, with the kingdom, right? But it's subversive. You have to embed yourself. And so what if that changed the way you thought about your job? You're like, okay, this is not just a means to an end to like make money to pay bills, but this is a place God has put me that I could truly embed myself. How, how can I like subtly, subversively love these people and, and bring the kingdom to where he's placed me right now? And so again, when Jesus Christ comes, it doesn't take the form of like some angelic army general. He totally could have. He, he takes on the form of weak human flesh to save weak human flesh. And so we do the same thing. We embed ourselves in these places. We get enfolded into these places. And through relationships and through service and through being more committed to the good of those people than we are to ourselves, somehow, some way, in, in, in a way we can't see or understand, the kingdom comes. Right? It's like the farmer. We don't know how it happens. We just go about our lives where God's placed us, loving people, loving God, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. He says, look, somehow it's going to work. That's how it works. All right, start small, spread slow. It's subtle, it's subversive. It is sure. 
right? I could have cut this whole point out and just said, it works. Just trust me, it works. It's sure, it's going to happen. But look, at the mustard seed parable in verse 32, again, this is like stating the obvious, but like, it grows. Like, it grows, and it accomplishes what it's set out to do. It wins. The kingdom triumphs. Um, I I heard a story from a good friend of mine that when he lived in Knoxville, Tennessee, the house that they bought, like 50 or 60 years ago, they had put down just kind of like a new driveway, you know, and so just like tons of like concrete and asphalt and cement, you know, on this driveway to to get from the road to the house. You know what a driveway does. Um, And there was this acorn that 50 or 60 years ago somehow had kind of lodged its way right on the side of it, right on the side of it. And so over time, right, over decades, what happens? The roots expand. It starts sending out a shoot. The shoot becomes a trunk. The trunk bears branches. And all of a sudden, you've got this tree where this driveway used to be. And the roots have updone all of the stone and all of the concrete and all the driveway. The driveway's a mess because there's this huge tree there. And yet, if you just kind of ask someone, like, hey, what do you think's going to win? This little acorn or, like, tons of concrete and cement covering it? What do you think? I'd be tempted to choose the concrete and the cement, Right? And, and yet within that acorn is, is the potential for an entire forest, right? An entire forest of trees exists in that one little thing. If you just give it the right conditions and you give it enough time, and there's so much power in that tiny thing, it wins. It's slow and it's subtle. You can't see it day to day. But over time, it, it completely wins. It totally wipes out the driveway. And so look, in verse 28 when it says the earth produces by itself, you could translate it this way. You could say the earth produces it automatically. That it happens automatically. It happens on its own. And so in a real sense, the coming of the kingdom and its growth, it is not up to you. And it's not up to me. Now we're we're a part of it. We get invited to participate. But the success of the kingdom does not rest on you. Right? The seed is what matters, not you. The seed is what does all the works to grow, to overtake. And so when you feel powerless and empty and unable to do anything, you can say, okay, the seed is still growing. The tree is alive. Right? The tree is still growing. You can rest. You can take a full day off and truly rest because God doesn't rest. You can say, okay, he's going to win. He's going to succeed. He's going to do that. I, I can actually take a day off. I can rest. Like, we are part of it, yes, but it does not rely on us. And so in the midst of your failures, in the midst of your sin, in the midst of the ways that you fail to love God and your neighbor, in the midst of your struggles to even hold on to belief in Jesus, Jesus says those things cannot stop the kingdom. It's coming. It's sure. It's guaranteed. It's automatic, no matter what. I don't know, I just hope that that might relieve like 10% of the stress that you have in your shoulders. <laughs> is that like, okay, no matter what I do, he says, this thing is coming. That, that is awesome. That is really good news. The kingdom starts small, spreads slowly. It is subtle. It is subversive. It is sure. And finally, the coming of the kingdom is self-sacrificial. It's self-sacrificial. So look, the main point of these parables, the main point... <laughs> that we can only know on this side of the cross is that Christ himself is the seed. Okay, in these parables, Christ himself is the seed. Yes, he is talking about words. He's talking about a message that's going to be proclaimed. But we know that in John 1, it says, the word became flesh. 
Right? The, the, the seed that is the message has come. And so Christianity is more than just a message. It is a message, but it's more than just a message. It's also a man. It's a message and a man. Like If you think about this parable in the light of what Jesus has done through his death, burial, and resurrection, you get this picture that Christ himself is the seed, but that what it takes for a seed to grow is that it has to enter into the earth and explode. And has to become something totally different. The seed dies so that the tree can flourish. That's exactly what Jesus' death does for us and what his resurrection does for us, that he himself has entered into the earth and the seed has died and the new tree has flourished. He's given us new life. The bad news is that we have to do the same thing. right? That if you want to participate in the coming of the kingdom, you also have to die. And I'm not talking about the big, you know, martyr yourself, die nobly for a cause. I'm saying it's the death by a thousand paper cuts of living faithfully, humbly, every day. Right? Uh, turn, turn in your bulletin. There's some quotes at the front of your bulletin that we put in there, um, some reflections for you. Um, I, I put this in there from John 13 because I think it, it matters to what we're saying. Because what Jesus is going to tell his disciples is, look, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. This is the main part. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a master greater than the one who sent him. What Jesus is saying is, if you want to follow me, you are going to be called to the same things that I have been called to. You are going to die to yourself. Right? This pattern of self-sacrifice is how we go out into the world. If you want to see God's kingdom come in your life, this is the blueprint. Right? If the kingdom has come by Christ giving his life away for us, then we also participate in the kingdom coming by us giving our lives away for other people. And so, yes, there are moral aspects to this, meaning, yeah, you have to die to your anger. You have to die to your anger. You have to die to your impatience. You have to die to your lusts. You have to say, I want these things, but I shouldn't. So I'm going to die to them. I'm going to try to pursue other things. I'm going to die to these dreams that I have. But there's other things too, right? Like you might need to die to this American dream of upward mobility where every decision that we make is predicated on the bottom line. How can I make the most money? How can I maximize profit margins? How can I be secure in the future? How can I know my kids are going to be secure in the future? Now, look, are those bad questions? Not necessarily. But if that's the dream you're living for, Jesus says, no, that's going to conflict with the kingdom because part of being a citizen of the kingdom might look like you, you, you make decisions that do not make sense financially to other people. You give your money away. You might live in a specific neighborhood or choose specific things because you're a citizen of the kingdom, not because of your bottom line. Here's another example. It might look like coming to the seminar on Saturday and learning how to die to yourself as you seek out your neighbors, right? Like, I know how this goes. Like, you're like, okay, if I'm being honest, I don't really want to get to know my neighbors. They're pretty weird, and I know they think I'm weird because I think they know what I believe, and I think, that, I, I think they think I'm a lunatic, Right? I don't want to, remember Gary Bertier's mom and remember the Titans with Julie? She's like, I don't want to get to know him. Anyway, that's how we are with our neighbors. We're like, I don't want to get to know them. And it's going to feel like death to like invite them over for dinner or to hang out. It's going to feel even worse if they accept. 
You actually have to go through it and do it. You're like, oh, I'd rather just like drink a beer and watch basketball. And Jesus says, die to yourself to love your neighbor. Get to know them. Embed yourself in that neighborhood and seek their flourishing. Right? Because think about this, right? Like, If the mantra of your heart, if the baseline of your soul is what Jesus Christ has done for you, right? to see what he has gone through to win you, to forgive you because he loves you, because he desired to save you from yourself, that and that only is a heart that not only sees the pattern of what Jesus is doing, okay, I've got to die to myself, but that actually has the power to do it because they're overcome by love for their Savior. Look, it is easy for you to leave right here and feel guilty and think, ah, oh, he's right, I need to reach out to my neighbor. But that's, that's guilt, that's shame, that's not going to change you. It would be another thing entirely if you left here and said, man, what Jesus did was really incredible for me. He died for me. That might make it easier. That might soften your heart to where you say, you know what? I, I can invite them over. I can die to my dream of the bottom line. Uh, it might look like dying to your dream of Redeemer. Right? That we all have these ideas that we have of like what we want this place to be. And so I'll quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this theologian, scholar. He once said, um, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the actual Christian community, they become destroyers of the Christian community. Even though their personal intentions might be honest and earnest and sacrificial, what he's saying is if you bring to the table some idealized dream version of the church, you will crush it. And it will crush you. Because no church could ever live up to that. And so the invitation is to say, okay, I'm going to commit to these people. I'm going to embed myself here. And I'm going to see what God does with that over the course of however long I've got left. Right? And so again, it is easy to hear me say all this and say, okay, he's just saying go be like Jesus. Just go be like Jesus. He's my example. I have to emulate him, which is not bad in and of itself, but that is only half the truth. I hope to be saying this till I am blue in the face, that Jesus is not only the pattern for how we live, but putting your faith and hope and trust in what he has accomplished for you on the cross and through his resurrection. It's not only the pattern for how we live, it's the power to do it. Right? That if you have been loved like that, with that kind of love, that is what will soften your heart and actually send you out into the world to love other people the same way. If the Christian life is just, hey, go be like Jesus, Good luck. I'm toast. You're toast too. You tried being like Jesus for an hour? It's impossible. Look, Charles Bukowski, um, poet that I love, um, I'm not recommending his whole corpus. He's got, he's got some pretty alarming stuff. But um, he's, got this, he's got this line in the front of your bulletin that I think is just so pertinent as we kind of wind down and close. He says, find what you love and let it kill you. Let it drain you of your all. Let it cling onto your back and weigh you down into eventual nothingness. Let it kill you and let it devour your remains. For all things will kill you, both slowly and fastly, but it is much better to be killed by a lover. If I could change it just a little bit to fit our discussion today, I would say this. Find what loves you and let it kill you. Right? Find the thing that has given its life for you and let that be the thing that kills you. Think about it. What would you rather die from, your job or the kingdom? 
right? What would you rather have kill you? Your need for this good reputation to be thought well of by all people or the kingdom? So the kingdom starts small, spreads slowly. It's subtle, it's subversive, it's sure it's gonna win and it looks like self-sacrifice. But just know this, that the king who is inviting you to die to yourself has already died to win you. That's someone worth following. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we praise you for who you are, for your character, for your goodness to us, that you, that you have brought your kingdom. And Lord, that it has humble, slow, small beginnings, so that humble, slow, small people like us could be part of it. And God, we thank you that your kingdom coming does not rely on us, and yet you still are pleased to use us to bring it to earth. So i got to pray for myself and for my friends here. Would you give us opportunities this week to both serve our neighbor and die to ourselves, but to also look and gaze at the beauty of who you are and your death on our behalf, and that that would be the thing that moves us out and propels us into the world. For the sake of your son, it's in his name we pray. Amen.